Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What a mystery. Uh, Whose boy is this? Ensign Brad Boimler, sir. Here to learn. This imposter. You want the Cerritos to investigate? Get in, get me intel, then get out. And Freeman, stick to the plan this time. If this was actually happening, they'd send the Enterprise. But, you know, artistic license. Hey, Dan, so have you seen any good movies lately? Uh, I have. What did I see lately? Oh, I recently saw Eurovision, that one with uh, Will Ferrell and the Eurovision singing contest film. Oh, wow. <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. Is it good? It's, as my wife Nikki put it, it's better than it has any right to be. We both really enjoyed it. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I, I can't think of any movies I've watched recently. I have been binge watching Cobra Kai nice. on Netflix. So, yeah, that, I'm, I'm liking that. So, anyway, thanks, everyone, for joining us here on Positively Trek. We're not here to talk about those movies. We're here to talk about a TV show, but kind of, in some ways, plays like a movie, at least in this episode. And we'll get into that. We're talking about Star Trek Lower Decks, and this is episode number nine, Crisis Point. I'm Bruce Gibson with Dan Gunther who was just telling us about this great Will Ferrell movie. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm not, you know, I, I, I've enjoyed movies like Anchorman and stuff over the years, but I'm not the biggest Will Ferrell fan in the world, but this was really good. I was really surprised. Anyway, I'll, I'll stop talking about Eurovision. <laughs> I'll have to check it out. I love comedy movies, so I'll definitely check that out. So let's talk about this episode of Star Trek Lower Decks. I can't believe this is episode nine because that just means we have one more left of the season. I don't know how I feel about that. I have mixed feelings because I'm like, oh, no, it's going to end soon. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, but then Discovery starts. Yeah, definitely mixed feelings for me as well. Given what happens in this episode, too, I'm really looking forward to the season finale, but also just really sad to see it ending so soon. Like, it seems like only a few days ago we started on Lower Decks season one, and it's so quickly coming to an end now. So, well, let's get into it. So the cold opening, uh, we have Mariner on a planet with some lizard men and some oppressed rat people you know this was an interesting opening to me because i watched this episode twice and each time i watched it i was just really fascinated with how they're handling the prime directive like from a serious standpoint like i'm not watching this from a oh this is cute and fun and funny i was like is this the right way does the prime directive really apply this way can we get involved or can we not get involved i was just curious what you thought yeah the it's an interesting question i think I feel like a little bit more backstory, a little bit more context for this is maybe needed. Yeah. Like what happened before? How did we get to this situation? Um, I, I do love that we see the Anticons again. These these rat people that we way back from season one of TNG. Different lizard people, though. These aren't the Sele, the the other lizard people that they were eating in that episode, apparently. So... Uh, yeah, the, these these Anticons, these rat people seem to just like oppressing and eating lizards, I guess. Yeah, I, I, 
I don't know. Have you ever eaten lizard before? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think I have either. I think that's something I would remember. <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of people eat snake meat. I don't think I've ever had that myself, but. Yeah. I think I did once. Anyway, we shouldn't go on talk about food and food metaphors because that's what the counselor on the ship does, (laughs) (laughs) which I love that Mariner has to go to therapy. Yeah. This counselor. Okay. Let's talk about him for a minute because I I thought he was great. Uh, Dr. Miglimo was the counselor. And when you first heard his voice, did it sound at all familiar without looking up who played him or anything? Like at first I thought it was John Billingsley or at least somebody who sounded a lot like John, John Billingsley, Dr. Phlox from Enterprise, but is actually Paul F. Tompkins doing his voice. Who's uh Tawny Newsom's co-host on uh, the pod directive, the Star Trek official podcast, among other things. He's he's very well-known comedic guy. Yeah, I, I was really listening to the voice because I was thinking, this is probably somebody we're supposed to know. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't know who it was. I really didn't. I did have to look it up. Yeah, me too. And I was like, yeah. oh, that's who it is. And then I have to, I have to admit... I haven't listened to that podcast yet, even though I've been oh, wanting wow. to. I just am so behind on podcasts. I haven't, I, I think I've up to episode two of ours. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I don't, I, cause I'm not like traveling. I'm always like working and I'm like, I don't have that time where I'm traveling and listen to podcasts, which is when I usually do. So yeah. I haven't listened to that yet, that new show, but you have, obviously. Mm. Yeah, I've listened to the first two episodes, I guess. And and yeah, I've really enjoyed it so far. They've done an amazing job. It's very different from Engage, the official Star Trek podcast from a few years ago. Very different format. Gets a lot deeper than I thought it would. It, it, I really highly recommend it. Oh, I like that. The idea of getting deeper. Yeah, I used to listen to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. I used to listen to that all the time. Okay, so I'll check that out. So, um, yeah, let's talk about that scene with the uh, the counselor, the bird. We all got to do the bird and the food metaphors, which, you know, I took kind of offense that that was a joke because I do use food metaphors quite a bit myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I if I'm going to explain something, I usually say, well, it's like when you eat a blah, blah, blah. Or if you're going to make, you know, I'm always using food. I don't know why I go to the food thing. What? species is this counselor do you know yeah that's what i'm curious about too he's some sort of bird person but he doesn't look like the two bird people we've seen before in star trek uh the aurelians and the score but yeah some some kind of bird type person (laughs) yeah well one day maybe we'll find out Mm. in a in a dayton ward novel i do love his food metaphors the you know Mariner, this report is a veritable fruit salad of insubordination. She, uh, the captain wants us to meet every week cooking up some healthy strategies to marinate you into the officer she knows you can be. I, I love it. I think that's, I love that it was so taken over the top. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I wonder what Counselor Troy would think if this is the appropriate way to hold a session like that. <laughs> hmm. I don't know. Or maybe even Esri Dax. I wonder what she would think. I'm yeah. Not sure. You got to think, you know, they talk about different conferences and stuff. You got to think all these counselors have gotten together in some conference somewhere talking about the latest 
strategies and all that sort of stuff. I'd love to see, you know, the the counseling conference on Pacifica or whatever, where, you know, we see Counselor Troy and Esri Dax and this counselor and, you know, all the other many counselors we've never seen that they mentioned in Deep Space Nine and all of them. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I love how this episode plays out with them on a holodeck because my next thought is, okay, here we go, a holodeck episode. But this is so clever because I love how how uh, Boimler wants to please the senior staff. So he makes this program so he can interact with them as if they're real because it's simulating the crew and by going into the database and reading their bios and their profiles to get it as accurate as it possibly can so it can really practice up on his interaction to impress the senior staff of course this is boimler he's not going to get it right very often <laughs> no but i i thought this was a very clever idea and if he'd been able to kind of go ahead with this plan, I feel like it would have really helped out. You know, he, he is making notes. He's learning about all the senior officers and, you know, what would please the captain and that kind of thing. And, you know, it's, it's as Mariner says, a little bit of boot licking and brown nosing, but you know, that's where Boimler excels. I think this could have really worked for him if Mariner hadn't have been there to kind of throw a wrench in the works. Why does it start off with Da Vinci shooting things, though? <laughs> I love that. That was great. The the return of Da Vinci from the Voyager Holic program. I thought that was excellent. And you know what's funny? And this got pointed out in the in the live show last night. And I hadn't have th I hadn't thought of this. Da Vinci is holding Chekhov's gun because Da Vinci in the first act has a gun. It's going to come back later in the show. And it does. I didn't even think of that. Yes, that's so true. Yeah, he does come back later with the gun in the show trying to shoot the villain Vindicta. But we'll get into that some more. So this concept of creating a holodeck program where you it can accurately predict how someone's going to react i don't know what the error rate of that is or how accurate it really is but think about that kind of technology like any t let's say because you know boimler's about to be interviewed by the captain so dan let's say you're looking for a job and, and you want to practice your interviewing skills you could bring up that person profile in your holodeck and have that person interview and know how the interview is going to go or if you're going to ask someone out on a date but not sure how they will respond you can always go to your holodeck and bring that up and know how they're going to respond i mean isn't that kind of cheating at life i mean there's definitely something to be said for that for sure and in this case you know boimler has used their private logs they say the last seven years of them to create these profiles which i think you know if that's not illegal it's at least very unethical as as several other people have said as well generally i would say you probably don't have enough accurate information for creating someone like that uh, unless you're accessing you know google and facebook's analytics or something like that which is a whole nother kettle of fish that we could open up here but you know i i think just generally speaking you know not even not even taking into account having a really accurate version of specific people 
I'd never really thought of the holodeck as a way to practice job interviews or things like that. I think right. that's brilliant. Like not even just that boss of that, you know, whatever, making sure that's perfect, but just a general interview where they ask really hard hitting questions and you can kind of get prepared for that and stuff. What a brilliant idea. I think that's terrific. It makes me wonder now if the holodeck was created for some of that purpose Mm -hmm. for practicing things with people and of course, even security type situations. And I mean... Obviously, it's not just there for play. I mean, we've seen that in past Star Trek episodes. It's not just for recreation. Well, no, it's primarily what it's primarily there for is for cosplaying as 19th century uh, <laughs> nursemaids for little bratty kids. That's that's what it's <laughs> primarily for. But or, you know, being a 1930s gumshoe detective, that's that's kind of the main reason. But <laughs> I knew it. See, I knew you would have the answer to that. I, I learned so much from you. Well, one of my favorite scenes from that is uh, as they're explaining what the program does and how accurate this portrayal of these senior staff characters would be and how they would react is when Rutherford tries it out with Shax and he says, hey, buddy, how's it going? Don't talk to me. I'm pissed off. <laughs> he reacts like, yeah, that just happened. That same conversation happened an hour ago. <laughs> so accurate. Yeah, they've it's got so his personality down perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, that was great. I, Shax, I, I think there's so many favorite characters on this show. I guess it kind of depends who's on screen at the moment. But yeah, Shax was fun. Well, speaking of Shax, later in, in these, this episode, Shax has a great line. And before we start recording, Dan, I loved how you delivered it with your Shax voice. And I was wondering <laughs> if you could do it for the show, because it's one of my favorite lines of the episode. Oh, so great. So, yeah, he's he's fighting as his character on the holodeck and he's got this big, huge, like, phaser rifle. <laughs> it's just massive and he yells when you get to hell tell the parates that Shaq sent you special delivery straight from Bajor <laughs> <laughs> okay you hear that CBS if it doesn't work out with your voice actor you got Dan right here he's ready <laughs> he's ready no I could never I could never replace the uh, the amazing voice work on this episode that's one thing we talked about last night as well actually is there's not one bad voice actor anywhere in this show everybody's doing Doing just a really bang up job on this show and like Fred Tadaschiore I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name but as Shax is amazing yes absolutely I, I want to see a little more Shax um, <laughs> there's so much opportunity there and so many few episodes eh. oh, I know maybe they'll do a movie <laughs> in between seasons <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that because I love how Mariner reprograms this simulation and makes it into a movie and that's where I'm just, I was telling Dan before the show, I wasn't laughing out loud that much during this episode. There were times, especially with Shaq's that I did, but I was just smiling throughout the whole thing. I'm just smiling, just enjoying like all the things that they're playing with and doing on here. And I probably did laugh out loud more than I think, but I just remember smiling a lot. And so all of a sudden it becomes a movie. And in the holodeck, how does a movie play on a holodeck? I guess you're standing right there in the movie because that's what we see our characters doing. And I love when I'm watching it on my TV screen, 
how we see the aspect ratio squeezed down to a letterbox format in the 69 aspect ratio of a movie. And it's like, so every time you were watching this episode, you knew when it was taking place in the movie based on that aspect ratio. Yeah. And I love that Boimler even seems to notice that that happened. And like, this kind of makes my brain go a little crazy. Like, what is he seeing when he notices the aspect ratio change? Yeah, what do you do? You look up and, oh, it's black up there and black down there. And (laughs) I don't know. Like, what does that mean? Are they flat on a screen? Like, how does that feel to be in a movie Mm -hmm. on the holodeck? I don't really know how that works out. I assume it feels like if you were standing up on a stage at a movie theater and the screen's right behind you, maybe? Maybe, yeah. I I do also love, of course... Like the the amount of care and attention that went into this, we have like this kind of filter overlaid over the movie that has like a film grain to it. And even like the dots popping up on screen that show you when to change reels in the movie theater. (laughs) Like it's so great. Like all the little details. And, you know, I guess if, um, you know, they can do black and white on the holodeck for Captain Proton. I guess you could have everybody overlaid with film grain on the holodeck. That'd be really weird, but I could I could see that happening, I guess. I kind of wish now one of the characters would have said, hey, what's that? I think I just saw a bug or something, you know? <laughs> just yeah. like, you know, what's that film grain thing, you know? Yeah, and I loved uh, the opening of the music playing because it oh, sounded yeah. very much from The Wrath of Khan, but it's the Lower Decks music. Yeah. That was so Jesus. I want that soundtrack. Oh, it was so beautiful. I've called it a Horner-esque theme where it's, you know, the James Horner, you know, the horns that he uses in Star Trek 2 and 3, but the Lower Decks theme. And there's there's just a couple notes that you expect it to go into the Wrath of Khan theme because that's what your brain's used to. And then the Lower Decks theme starts playing. It's just, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, I loved it. The music was great. And then especially the uh, flyby around the ship. So the second time I watched it, I just, I did look at the clock. I mean, that sequence is a minute long. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, you know, out of like a 24, 25 minute episode to take that time to really drive that joke home. And then Billups crying as they're flying around the <laughs> yes. ship. It was so amazing. What a great scene. <laughs> I have to admit, it just, it did kind of pull at my heart a little. Like, I wanted more of that. Like, I was like, I really like this. I think it's funny. But at the same time, I'm like, I really like this. I like the theatrical type of cinematic feel of the episode at the same time, you know? And... You know, when that scene's playing and they're in the shuttlecraft going around the ship, at one point I thought, okay, you know, they played this for a while. They played it a long time. And I thought, I wish they would play this even longer, but they probably won't. And then they did. It just kept going. And yep. I was like, yes, keep this going. I would have been fine if it took the whole episode at that point. <laughs> <laughs> There's that comedic rule where, you know, you take something and it goes for quite a while and you're like, oh, that's really funny. And then it goes just a little bit too long and you're like, Okay, this is kind of, and then it goes like a little longer than that. And it's like, not just funny. Now it's hilarious. That's how this felt to me. I love when they push that comedy, you know, and, and there's, there's gotta be some psychological thing where they know exactly how long to push the joke. My favorite example is in the Simpsons episode, one of the sideshow Bob episodes where he steps on a rake and it smashes him in the face and he goes, and 
then he does it like five or six more times. And you're like, what the heck? This is dumb. And then he does it like another three or four times. And suddenly it's the funniest thing in the world. There's just something about humor when it comes to that. It's like, and I think we talked about this one other time on some other show, but it's like, like, okay, for the example, the movie Napoleon Dynamite. The first yes. time I watched that, I was just like, what the heck was that? Like, uh, okay, I had whatever. the exact same reaction my first time. <laughs> and then every time I see it, I laugh more and more and more. Absolutely. I just think it's hilarious. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I want to go watch it now, but I can't. We got to do the show. But okay, so I love when they get on the ship on the Cerritos and the bridge and the lens flares. At that point, I'm like, yes, lens flares. I love it. And just even the shadows on the ship because the lighting in movies is so different. Every time we see the bridge, if you think about the, the bridge of the enterprise D when we watch TNG, it's very bright. Mm -hmm. And then when you go to watch generations, it's lit differently, especially when you look at Picard's ready room and just how, you know, dark it is and the shadows and, and the certain things. And I love when they do the lighting like that, but they had that on this too. Yeah, definitely. The, the various views of the bridge, the lens flares, like you said, like the shot of the captain's chair where there's that like moving lens flare going down the side of it. Yes. Like, what the heck is that even? But <laughs> you know, you watch Star Trek 09 or into darkness and it's that over the top with the lens flares. Like this, this was great. Side note about Picard's ready room, by the way, the reason why it was so cloaked in darkness and it's so funny is those sets were, of course, built for television and then they blew it up to like a big screen and they're like, wow, that looks awful. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why so much of it is in darkness. But yeah, there's something about cinematic lighting. Like if, if it was lit brightly, even if the set looked good, if it was lit as brightly as it was in the television show, it just would not look good on the big screen. What you just said about his ready room, I did not hear that. I just assumed that. I thought, you know, <laughs> they probably lit it that way because it probably looks cheap on on the big screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then, of course, in any movie, you have to have the villain of the movie. And we have Vindicta, which is actually Mariner. And she's in there and she's going to get Captain Freeman. I love how she just kept you know, emphasizing <laughs> free man. <laughs> At last free man, I will bathe in your blood. <laughs> and she has her henchmen like Tendi and Rutherford as her henchmen and, and Tendi's the Orion pirate, which, you know, I thought that part was interesting too, because it's the stereotype of Orions. Yeah. And it bothers Tendi as the episode comes, continues on. And she calls Mariner out on it. It's like, you know, we're not all pirates, you know, it's like, We've moved beyond that. Yeah, I really, really appreciated that aspect of the episode that Tendi does call Mariner out on this. And, you know, that that again, I'm going to keep harping on this point. This is like a 24, 25 minute episode that they're taking the time to address that issue and then not only just bring it up and say like, oh, hey, this is an issue. By the end of the episode, they actually have Mariner realize what she's done and go back to Tendi and apologize for that. I was, I was applauding that this episode. I, I love that they, th they took the time to do that. I did too, because at that beginning scene, when she's introduced as the Orion pirate, I thought, you know, you could tell Tendi's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. That's what I am. <laughs> Yay. Theft. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then it's kind of brought up again. And I thought, 
And I was like, okay, I love the fact it looks like they're going to address this. They didn't just play it off as like one joke and that was it. Mm -hmm. There actually is meaning. And I think that's the important thing to realize realize about Lower Decks is it's not just about the humor and the over-top funniness of things and all the crazy situations going on. They do try to insert Star Trek messaging in the episode, whether it's blatant and it's that's the whole message of the episode or just small messages like that throughout. And, you know kudos to them because that's that's what star trek is yeah and added to that in this particular episode as well the character development that mariner in particular gets you know and and other characters but you know comparing it to last week's episode for example i loved last week's episode but it was mostly plot and wacky hijinks, which was really cool. That worked really well. This week, I think we've got just as much plot and wacky hijinks. But added on top of that are these social messaging bits and character development, which, you know, is just the perfect souffle of a Star Trek episode to me. Like this one just hit all of my buttons. Yes, yes, I agree with you on that. And, you know, it's like Mariner in this episode, this is her moment to discover herself she's not getting it necessarily out of her therapy sessions but she's doing it on this holodeck and this villainous character that she's portraying it's actually mariner on the holodeck playing this character and then as she's going around shooting everybody and taking her revenge on everyone on the ship on the holodeck version of the ship which actually started to disturb me a little it's like is this really how mariner feels that she just really wants to just kick everybody's butt and just shoot everybody and she wants this much revenge on her mother that she does not like her mother is this the deal as a matter of fact my wife walked into the room halfway through this episode and started watching it she turned to turned to me and she says this is very dark Mm -hmm. and I, i and i said well yeah but you really have to like watch the episode to know really why it's doing this but then to see her confronting herself her regular Mariner self, that's where it became really interesting because, you know, we've got that trope in Star Trek of, you know, doubles fighting each other in a sense. But at one point I started thinking, wait, is is Vindicta the real Mariner or is the Mariner in this holodeck the real Mariner? But of course the Mariner was not. It's the going into her personal logs and developing what would be as close to Mariner as we can get. And that's when she starts to discover what her real thoughts and feelings are. Yeah. No, this was really great. And like Mariner says, it ends up being therapy. You're right. It got to a very dark place. And and I was kind of doing the thing where, you know, after Shax, the holographic version is killed and, and Mariner is just covered in blood and just reveling in it. And Tendi is kind of put off by it and stuff. It does get to a really dark place. One place that I thought the episode was going to go, and I was kind of sure about this just because I paused it at a particular point and, and thought about it, was when Mariner as Vindicta is fighting her mother, um, her mother keeps acting confused and saying, I don't know you. Like, what What are you talking about? Who are you? And Mariner's like, exactly. You don't know me. Yeah. But what I was thinking was this, these facsimiles are based on the last seven years of private logs. And I thought, oh my God, 
has in seven years the captain never mentioned Mariner in her private logs? Is that what this is going to be about? And that's going to be where this episode goes, just because I happened to posit it around that point to do something and had some time to think about that. But that's not where the episode goes. But like, I was sure, I thought like it was going to be this big, like, the captain doesn't even acknowledge her daughter and that's where this all comes from. But I was all wrong about that. It was, it was a, it was an exploration of course of Mariner's psychological issues, not the captain's until we get to the end, we get a bit of that, but yeah, it was, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I really I thought like that's that. where it was going. And I was like, that's dark too, but no, never mind. <laughs> yeah. I kept thinking the captain doesn't know her because she's vindicta and she doesn't recognize her daughter as yeah. being that character. And that makes uh, more sense. Then, of course, the the real Mariner, who's not the real Mariner, in the Cerritos, in the simulation, shows up and puts that to rest. So so what did you think about this scene um, or, or this part of the story with Mariner? She really seems to discover the fact that she does like to be on the ship. She does like the people. She's just she has fears. She has fears of rejection or fears of not succeeding maybe in Starfleet if she leaves the ship, of leaving her mother. and what. So she starts to realize she really does care a lot about her mother and the people on the ship. So it's interesting that she approaches this holodeck program at first of wanting to destroy everyone and mm-hmm. take vengeance against her mother and doesn't realize it until later. And it's like, why did she become so violent? It It's interesting and... I- a few people have pointed this out and I think they're absolutely right. I think Mariner is suffering from PTSD. Like this is almost classic post-traumatic stress disorder. Something happened, something put her on this path uh, to make her feel this way. And, you know, this, this is stuff that she had to work through. I do love that by the end we see through to the real Mariner and she says, you know, things like you actually love the warp core when you know, she's talking about herself, you know, I don't hate the crew. I work with my best friends. The captain's my mom. I would do anything for her. This is really, we're seeing how she really feels about things for the first time, which is incredible. Like I, I think that's a great breakthrough. It's a little bit pop psychology, you know, it's, it's a little bit you know, quickly getting to this resolution because again, it's, you know, a 25 minute episode. You don't have a lot of time to spend on this, but the episode still took the time to kind of have this arc for her, which I thought was really interesting. In some ways I'm disappointed. This is the second to the last episode of the season because now I'd like to see how the mother daughter relationship plays out in real life. Now that Mariner has had this revelation. See, and I think that's what the last episode is going to be all about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. I, and I think so, too. But then it's just going to end. <laughs> and then we have to wait a whole another year or whatever. And so I just would like a little more episodes maybe to deal with that, because not just that, but the other thing that happens in this episode at the end is when Boimler returns to the holodeck and sees an ending scene where, you know, the the crew and Captain Freeman thinks that Mariner has died and she's making this little speech about how Mariner was her daughter and it was kept a secret. And Boimler hears this and he's like, Oh, (laughs) like all freaked out about it. So now we know that he knows that they're mother and daughter. So that's another complex layer that we're adding to it right before the last episode. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And of course the captain says, I don't know what I would have done if anyone would have found this out. I probably would fire them, you know, then blah, blah, blah. And of course Boimler now is freaking out about that. 
But yeah, that's going to be an interesting wrench in the works now that Boimler knows about this relationship between the captain and Mariner. So where's that going to lead? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And we only have this one episode to wrap that up or at least create enough of a cliffhanger that you want to tune into season two. (laughs) So we'll have to see how that works. And of course, this has made him a wreck because by the time he goes for his interview with Captain Freeman, he's just, uh, Mariner. What about Mariner? Uh, she's hot. No, (laughs) (laughs) no, I mean, she's nasty. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) and she's like, he obviously didn't prepare for this interview. (laughs) Oh, Boimler. No. Boimler. You got to feel bad for the guy. He tries, you know, he tries really hard and it just never works. Even if he bakes her cookies, he bakes the wrong cookies. That was another scene that I liked too, was when uh, Ransom is dying, the fake Ransom on the holodeck and Boimler's trying to get out of him. Well, what kind of cookies does the captain like? You know, and then right before he dies, he's like, just don't make, she's allergic to, ugh. And dies. He's like, no, what is she allergic to? I need to know. I need to know. And then on the holodeck, he tries chocolate chip cookies. And then you have Jet come in and tackle him down. No, she's allergic to chocolate. He's like, now he knows. (laughs) Yeah, he's obviously an assassin. So poor Boimler. You know, one aspect of the story we haven't really talked about a lot, which ended up kind of being one of my favorite bits was Rutherford and his boss, Billups. I thought that was an incredible subplot in this episode. Yeah, because then Rutherford realizes, hey, I can go tell Billups anything I want to tell him. This is a holodeck. It's all fake. And I can really tell him how I feel. (laughs) And Dan, of course, what happens when he goes to see Billups? Well, of course, you know, the trope, the common trope that people are expecting is, you know, you want to tell off your boss, right? But we know that that's not the relationship that Rutherford has with Billups. And Rutherford tells Billups that he is the best engineer in Starfleet. And he just loves the way he, you know, recalibrates things and and just is amazed by him. And they become really close. And I love that. I thought that was really sweet to see them develop this relationship that... Unfortunately, Rutherford is unwilling to pursue in real life because, you know, Billups is a is a badass and, and you know, he he would never be friends with the real Rutherford. But, you know, we get that last shot of Billups and he seems pretty lonely. You know, I, I really I really want to see more about this poor Billups. I really want to see growth for him now. <laughs> yeah, you would think that after the holodeck experience that Rutherford would feel comfortable going to Billups, especially when he's just sitting there in the lounge or whatever, you know, not all by himself. <laughs> and they encourage him to go do it. No, no, you know, he's he's not going to do it. I mean, I guess at some point we might see it, but you know, I love on the holodeck how they're just so buddy buddies and almost like in tears. You know, Billups likes to cry a lot. Have you noticed that? He's a very touchy feely guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, but you know, they even hug and all that stuff. And one of my favorite lines is when the ship is in distress and it's going to crash, and and Rutherford tells Billups that he beamed everybody off the ship. Everybody's okay, and he's like, "You can do that." And he's like, "You know, you." You could do all sorts of beaming stuff in a movie. <laughs> I love that. I feel like that was definitely a dig at uh, the Kelvin Timeline films and their transwarp beaming thing. I, yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I love that they were picking fun at those movies. Well, 
all the movies, but I'm glad they included those in in this. Definitely, yeah. Uh, you know, one point I I feel like Boimler is that one friend who comes with you to the movies and kind of whispers like little facts to you while you're trying to watch the movie. There was the the one part where you know they're going to send the Cerritos out to deal with this fake Starfleet vessel, and Boimler just like whispers to some ensign beside him. If this was actually happening, they'd send the Enterprise, but, you know, artistic license. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Enterprise comes up a lot in these last few episodes. Every once in a blue moon, they refer yeah. to the Enterprise. That it's, makes sense. They're the flagship, right? They're the best yeah. of the best. So. Even Discovery referred to the Enterprise before the Enterprise ever showed up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, one of the characters we didn't touch on, and he's not in here very long, is Shempo. <laughs> yes. Which is actually... Boimler, but recreated into this little wimpy character, which was kind of funny. I wish we have had a little more of him. <laughs> yeah, he did not last long. <laughs> no, he got shot and killed. <laughs> yeah, I love when uh, Mariner as Vindicta executes him. And like on the bridge of the Cerritos, they're like, oh, Shempo, you didn't have to do that to Shempo. <laughs> <laughs> it was really upsetting. Oh. I would have liked to see maybe uh, some scenes of Boimler and Shempo like doing things together and where Shempo is just annoying the heck out of Boimler. I'm not like this. No, this is not me. Wait, am I really like this? Am I? <laughs> well, I, I love that very quickly Boimler just kind of says like, oh yeah, I guess that's kind of when, when he's like, right. I love my captain and I don't want to be here. Oh, well, yeah. I, okay. That's pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was good. Yeah. Yeah, I loved a lot of stuff in here. And then even how the episode ends with the signatures, just like at the end of Star Trek The Undiscovered Country. Yeah, but also before that, the aforementioned uh, Da Vinci's Chekhov's gun, yes. when the, the crashed photon torpedo tube a la the end of The Wrath of Khan and Vindicta is actually still alive, but, but Da Vinci's there and shoots her dead. So <laughs> <laughs> that's that solved. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your final thoughts on this episode oh man okay so i went into this episode saying to myself i'm not gonna say whatever happens i'm not going to say oh this is the best episode yet i'm gonna make sure to find some fault with it and blah 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 which is not how you should you shouldn't go into things like that right you should just go in fresh and evaluate it on its own merits but gosh darn it, if this isn't the best episode of Lower Decks yet. <laughs> you know, I was watching the episode and thought something similar to what you were thinking. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, if I come back to this episode and we do this podcast and you tell me it's your favorite episode, I'm just going to think that every time we do a podcast, you're going to tell me it's your favorite episode. <laughs> to be fair, the only time I've done that is this episode and the last episode. So yes, that is true. You know, and la the last episode was my favorite episode up to that point. This episode is my favorite episode up to this point. So of the nine that we've seen so far, this is definitely the best episode. And again, I'll re reiterate because I found it as funny, as laugh out loud funny as I did last week. But added on top of that, we have the social commentary with regards to Tendi's character and also the character development for Mariner, which, you know, people who have listened to stuff I've talked about with regards to books, comics, TV shows, 
I'm all about character development. I think, you know, if you can make this meaningful and show an evolution of a character, I'm going to love it. And this one absolutely nailed that. And I thought that was incredible. So yeah, top marks to this one. And like you said, the even right up to the very end of the episode, I'm if I'm not laughing out loud throughout this episode, I'm at least grinning because... The very last bit, like you said, are those signatures that fly through space that look exactly like Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, which is funny even in and of itself. But the final signature is Bradward Boimler, and then he dots his eye with a little Starfleet Delta. And I'm like, this show is so great. (laughs) I've said this other places, but I I would love to have been in the writer's room when they're coming up with ideas for this episode because I feel like it was totally a round table of like, Oh, what else should we throw in here? Well, what if we did this? And they're like, yes, that's perfect. Throw it in there. That's awesome. There's so much in here and it was clearly a labor of love. You know, they're, they're doing all these Star Trek movie tropes, but they're not making fun of them. They're celebrating them. And I really, really, really love that. I do too. And as I was watching this episode, I thought, I can't imagine a Star Trek fans not liking this series, or at least that this episode that we were watching. But, you know, I know, you know, some people would say, well, it's just not my kind of humor. So I get that. But I would still think, even though it's not your kind of humor, I think it would be enjoyable to watch and just see the little call outs and little cute things that they're doing. I enjoyed the episode. I, I mean, I think I would say I still like last week's episode, maybe just a little better than this one, but it's it's really close. Mm-hmm. My thoughts were when I was watching this is that this series seems to be getting better. Like the sec, this last half of the season is really standing out to me. So it's like they've really got their groove going. And I'm really anxious to see this last episode because of that. I don't want to get my expectations up too high. But and I'm also anxious to see what the next season's gonna be like. So I'm really looking forward. I think the thing that's gonna happen is when the season ends, thankfully I'm going to be sad that it ends and I'm really gonna be anxious for the next one. So that's saying a lot. That means I'm really liking this series. So uh yeah, to your point, really love this episode. You know, from the scooters to exploding Borg heads, <laughs> you know, everything that was in here. I I mean it was just it was just a lot of fun. And the messaging, like you said, we talked about that. That was that was good too. So yeah. Let's let's bring on episode ten. Definitely. I yeah, for for a rating of some kind, I, I think I'm going to give this one really terrific hydro scooting trip with the senior staff of the Cerritos. And I'll give this one giant long ride around the Cerritos. Oh, beautiful. And <laughs> taking in the love. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dan, where can people find you online? Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kertrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can also find me on YouTube.com slash Kertrats Productions, making videos all about Star Trek. And that's the main places. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram, Kertrats47. 47? 47. 47? You know what, Dan? Our next episode is 47. What? That's crazy. 47. Yes. What an amazing... Hmm. Why wow, that, that number feels like it has significance somehow. I, I don't know. It does. And if any of you are wondering, 
what does that number really mean? Or I kind of heard of something. Tune into episode 47 because we're going to discuss 47 with a special guest who is not a medical doctor, but a Dr. Trek. Hmm. That's my little hints right there he'll be joining us and you can find me on twitter at admiral underscore rex and of course follow the show on twitter at positively trek you can also send an email to us at positively trek at gmail.com and we also have a facebook group so search for positively trek and join in on the discussions so anything else dan before we sign off i don't think so positively treks also on instagram if you want to check them out it's just at Positively Trek on Instagram as well. Other than that, I think those are the main ways you can get our attention. <laughs> yes, or you can jump up and down screaming and we might notice you. That might work too. There you go. So. Okay, thanks for everyone for joining us and we'll see you on the next episode, number 47. And until then, stay positive. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.